Welcome to Bitch Talk, booze interviews straight from the heart of San Francisco. I'm Erin. That's Ange. Hi. That's Char. Hello. You can find us at bitchtalkpodcast.com where you can sign up for our monthly e-news. For behind-the-scenes videos and two-minute clips of our interviews, head to our YouTube channel and subscribe. You can find us every other Thursday morning at 9.30 a.m. at bff.fm. And if you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For the love of God, do it. It really helps. Welcome to Sundance 2021. We are here with Films Gone Wild. It's Aaron. It's Ange. We have our first round of uh, interviews from Sundance. This is our, uh, what is it, Ange? Bad our, Bitches. Our Bad Bitch episode. Our Bad Bitch episode, as she just said. And we have the filmmakers from My Name is Polly Murray, who we love so much, and our new friends from the doc playing with sharks. And you're going to hear our friend John Wildman on the show. As you know, he's been with us the last couple of uh, Sundances, and we wouldn't be here without him. So enjoy our interviews. Hey, bitches. What's up, friend? <laughs> hey, how are you? <laughs> oh, I, I have such a strong memory of actually being in like a hotel suite in San Francisco where we had done like a ton of interviews that were all very straight and boring. And then you guys came in with your big talk energy. And we were like, oh, like now I'm awake. Oh, <laughs> we're like, yeah. ta-da. <laughs> The we, bitches are here. Yeah, yes, we remember yeah. it fondly too. We, yep. we look back to that all the time. It was so, so fun. And we've been waiting for this moment ever since. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, Julie, we saw you in 2019 at that at the uh, what, what was it? Um, Planned Parenthood brunch. Yeah, like right, a minute. At the Planned Parenthood party. And you party yelled, stuff, right? "There's my bitches yeah. from across the room." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was so special. We were like us. <laughs> of course, we turn. We know. We're like, yeah. oh, who knows? We're not together in a suite right now. You're. No, we're far, yeah. far away. We're far, far away from each other. It's sad. Are you we in are, San Francisco? I'm in San Francisco. I'm in Southern California right now with my family uh -huh. for a little bit, but uh -huh. yeah, still posted in San Francisco. Yeah. 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 We have been following you all along and, yes. and every time we see that you've done something, like your accomplishments feel like successes for all of us. So yeah. the, <laughs> the, the video for Dr. Jill Biden, I'm going to say doctor every time I say her yes, name. Please. Yes, please. The doctor. <laughs> the video you guys did at the DNC, Aaron and I were texting like, did you watch it? Did you watch it? Which is, it was amazing. Just everything you guys uh, touch. You, you guys get every time you guys are in the news, you're in our Slack or our yeah. group. Text. Always. Yeah. Always. <laughs> Always. Like, look what they're doing. Look what they're doing. They're so cool. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. Oh my I God. guess we that's we that's the only people who think we're cool. Many oh. <laughs> people like our work, but not I'm going to cool. close the door. My husband's across the hallway. And I think he like might be like really shocked right now. <laughs> anyway, yeah, we're happy to be back with you. We're very happy. We are at Sundance 2021, everybody. I'm Aaron from Bitch Talk. I have my co-host Angela Tabora. Uh, we're also representing Films Gone Wild, and we have the wonderful Julie Cohen and Betsy West from the documentary. My name is Polly Murray. Um, and I'm going to let you start first because there's a lot to talk about with this film. Yeah, I, well, I, I have to start by saying we've brought this up all the time on Bitch Talk, how our education system is very Eurocentric. 
And even when they do, even when it does come to stories of other cultures, they even get that wrong. And there's major <laughs> gaps, including Polly Murray. So how did you come across uh, this beautiful woman and, and how did you decide to tell her story? Well, um, you ladies will be happy to know that it was RBG who first mm. put us on to Polly Murray because uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, as a lawyer arguing for women's rights, had put Polly Murray's on name on the cover of the first brief that, that she wrote before the Supreme Court because of an article that Polly Murray had written in the 1960s arguing about using the 14th Amendment to fight for women's rights. So, you know, we knew that, but we didn't know much more, frankly. After RBG, we did a little bit of research and just went, holy moly, mm -hmm. look at this person and had the same feeling that you did. Like, I, I didn't know about her. How come I didn't know about this extraordinary uh, thinker, activist, <laughs> influencer. Uh, so we just thought, hey, let's let's go for it. And, and when you started digging into this film and, and the history of Polly Murray and started pitching it, were, were other people surprised by the story? Yes. I mean, I think that was a pretty universal reaction we got. Um, not only, you know, in terms of going out for looking for funding for the film, but also bringing on other members of the team. Um, you know, like, how do I not know more about this person? Once people understand what Polly contributed, you know, in legal thinking to women's rights and to civil rights in, you know, this amazing body of poetry and nonfiction writing, um, in spirituality becoming the first um, black, per I, black person identified as a woman to be, uh, to be ordained as an Episcopal priest. Um, you know, activism, like desegregating restaurants in Washington, D.C. in 1943, like 17 years before the Woolworths lunch counter sit-in, getting arrested for sitting in the quote-unquote white section of a bus in 1940, 19, uh, 15 years before Rosa Parks. I was like, like thing after thing. And you're like, how did I not know this? Um, which just sort of seemed like a kind of challenge to us of like, okay, well, let's figure out if there's a way to tell this person's story, dis despite, you know, unlike RBG, uh, such a vibrant on-camera presence um, that, that, that who we filmed for RBG, obviously this is someone who died 35 years ago. We're not gonna have that aspect to it on top of a name that isn't a household name. Um, but like, you know, I think it was, but, but, you know, that's kind of part of the story. Like, why don't we, why don't we know mm -hmm. who Polly Murray is, which is why, what was the impetus between the title? Like, my name is Polly Murray. Like, hello, intro introducing myself here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that the way that you tell the story and, and you introduce these different things that she did, like 15 years before Rosa Parks did this mm -hmm. 10 years before RBG. It really, it really hits home that impact of there's something wrong here. And, and I hope that sets the bigger discussion for how we teach children and how we talk about our history. I, I really do. I, I really hope this, this film is shown throughout schools across the country and the world, really. Is that a conversation that you've been having or, or. <laughs> yeah, we hope that we hope that too. I mean, I think that was our, our, primary goal and you know we were 
extraordinarily lucky uh, that Polly saved everything. I, yes. As her, her great niece discovered after Polly's death and it was every single piece of writing and letters and diaries and interviews and everything that went to the amazing Schlesinger Library at Harvard where you know, we had the pleasure of being in the vault there to see the Polly Murray collection, which is huge. It's, mm. you know, nearly 150 boxes, but, you know, along with all, with other great American women whose archives are there. And, you know, we, we discovered that the photographs that Polly had saved over the years and these audio tapes, and that allowed us to try to bring stories Polly's story to life in a very personal way. I mean, you know, it was a, it's a, it's a fascinating and complex story. Polly was a feisty, determined, brilliant woman who had many ups and downs in life, along with the incredible challenge of being a non-binary person at a time when that was just like unknown or not, if not unknown, just unacceptable to most people. Mm -hmm. And that was a really hard challenge. So, um, you know, we, we were able to, you know, move forward with this material. Can I ask about the non-binary um, and gender story that is a really big part of Polly's story? Was there ever a moment where it was questionable for you two to, to, to shine a light on it? Yes, we went into the project not really knowing or fully understanding to what extent we were going to get into that subject matter. Unlike um, the fight for racial equality, the fight for gender equity, uh, uh, fighting for gay rights or trans rights um, was not part of Polly's public struggle, wasn't something mm -hmm. that Polly talked about publicly at all. Um, following the work of one of the authors we interview in the film, Rosalind Rosenberg, who, who wrote pretty extensively about that subject, and then also looking ourselves in Polly's archives, in which there's not a ton of information, but there is certainly Polly left in, in an archive for future students and researchers to see um, these unbelievably poignant plaintive letters to doctors going back to 1940 saying, you know, in stumbly language, because like, you know, just say like, I, I think I'm a man, like, can, or, or, can, can I take testosterone? Because Polly had read an article um, in, a, in a newspaper, uh, I think was even in the late 30s, talking about how people could take testosterone, not necessarily as a gender reassignment thing, but for other purposes. And it seemed like, oh, that could be relevant, saying like, can, can somebody do surgery on me and tell mm -hmm. me if there are male organs inside me? Um, you know, so much of Polly's words that are in the film that are recorded on audio or video or in, are written in, in letters and, and journals feel like they're kind of like a cry to be heard. Like, I want you to, as, as my grandniece says in the film, like, you, I, I want you to see me. I want you to hear me. And that seemed like part of the Polly story that was maybe like a cry to be heard, even if it was a cry into the future. Yeah. And I think we agreed with Polly's biographer, Rosalind Rosenberg, that Polly's in-betweenness, uh, the fact that 
Polly uh, was a non-binary person and also Polly's in-betweenness racially mixed race um, as a woman in a male, you know, traditionally male profession. I mean, in many ways, Polly was an outsider. And, and I think, you know, Rosalind's uh, argument was that this was key to who Polly was and allowed Polly to make the discoveries that Polly did about the arbitrariness of categories for women, for African Americans, for any kind of, um, you know, arbitrary pigeonholing was just mm. didn't make any sense to her. And, and that was so her personal life really informed the amazing professional accomplishments that that Polly had. Yeah, I'm glad you talk about that because, you know, and, and that's even with her work for social justice in conjunction with her deep religiousness that even RBG, you know, was was kind of baffled by. And, and it, it happens all the time. It's just like, we're the religious right. And if you're liberal, you can't have that. Like, there's room for all of it. The, the difference is our acceptance of that. Uh, and, and so I'm really glad that, that you touch on that. And one thing that really stuck with me that, that she says is um, she hopes, I'm quoting, that I live to see my lost causes found. Yeah. That, yeah. that really has stuck with me um, because it's just, it's just she had that outlook. That's why she was able to do these things. It's not a lost cause because it's impossible. It just hasn't been found yet. Right. And uh, you both have covered Ruth Bader Ginsburg, <laughs> Polly Murray, Dr. Jill Biden. She's a doctor, everybody. Um, after covering these brilliant women, has it changed what you think it takes to be a trailblazer like that? Do you think it takes a special something? Do we all have that in us, that ability to make these huge impacts? Well, the three people that you've mentioned um, have, have some things in common. And um, I would say just like a relentless optimism you know, mm. not not someone who's never sad or depressed, but just like relentlessly, I'm gonna push through whatever her ba barriers anyone puts in my way, like having that kind of mindset. I mean, Polly more than any of these other characters had the, like the, the height of the wall constantly being put in, in front of her. And as, as Polly, says um, in a 1970 interview that we th that we listened to, um, you know, it's like the bar keeps being raised. I get, I mean, the, the number of degrees <laughs> that this yeah. person had was just like incredible. Like, you know, so many accomplishments, so much. I mean, you, you don't even know that we got so we have so many firsts in the film. There are so many more. And yet, you know, when it comes time to go for tenure, like the tenure committee is like, yeah, but you know, you're not really brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, yeah. you know, just like no matter how far you go, someone's going to put a wall up. But like, Polly was just going to scale that and and jump over it because of the the level of uh, not give upness in you know instilled in deep in that spirit. You know, and and I think something that Polly's lover early on said is struck with me. Polly, she said, you know, I, I can't believe you can write about being a Negro and not be bitter. How can you do that? And I think that, you know, Polly's writings are tough and fierce and she's taking FDR to task. And, yes. you know, she's <laughs> in confrontation by typewriter, but there isn't bitterness there. 
there is just determination to 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 jump over that wall and to to keep going and uh you know that's something that that served Polly very well yeah and I was gonna say um I do love the story because I kind of it resonates with me of um, Polly and her students and that she would keep using the word Negroes and they would cringe a little bit, but they really respected her. And I, I get that curmudgeon, uh, curmudgeonly aspect of her because I'm like that too. But I loved that story yeah. and thank you for including it. Yeah, Paul, Polly's uh, students at Brandeis um, were uh, really uh, amazing people uh, and hearing them sort of growing to recognize um, everything that Polly was. You know, it's easy for a college student to look at a 50 year old professor and, you know, they were radical activists at that time. And the, the teacher is like, you know, work within the system. And it's sort of, it would have been easy for them to dismiss her, um, the person that they knew to be, a, they knew as a woman professor, but like they, they were able to see, you know, like spend a few, uh, a few weeks in that classroom and you start to understand, wait a second, there's really something extraordinary that this person has to bring. And I think a lot of that had to do with the human connection that Polly gave, that it became clear that uh, Professor Murray was looking at them as human beings with a ton of potential and was going to help uh, bring them bring them along educationally and then all of a sudden you care about someone and you trust them and you start to want to know more about their history and what they've contributed and that's you know they came to really understand Polly very very deeply I think yeah for for people like Polly who have achieved greatness they're always going to say you know I, I I didn't do this alone I, I did this with as a group but I, but I want to bring up Aunt Pauline and her, mm. her relationship with her, you know, who she just gave her unconditional love. She's someone that she really needed as, as part of her foundation to give her the strength to do what she then mo moved on to do. So I, I really feel like we should all try to be like Polly Murray, but we should also try to be Aunt Pauline to, to everyone around us to, to, to give that strong foundation for these people around us that can achieve this greatness. Yeah, I mean, Aunt Pauline is a great character and I wish we could have spent more time on Aunt Pauline because she took in this or her orphan niece and did give unconditional love and ultimately understood uh, that Polly's, you know, to some extent under, understood uh, Polly's gender struggle, you know, called her my, my boy girl, you know, mm -hmm. really, Mm -hmm. didn't make her feel bad because wanted to dress as a boy and not as not as a girl and then as that went on I mean Paul Aunt Pauline was was an extraordinary person and and really I think gave Polly the foundation uh, to meet the the challenges that she did in her life on that note, we have to wrap, but it was such a pleasure seeing you two again, Julie Cohen, Betsy West. Um, congratulations on the film, and I'm sure we'll be seeing more of you two uh, as 2021 rolls on. Thanks, Harry. Thanks, Angela. Thank we love you guys. Thank you. Yeah, you too. Thank you.
I'm John Wildman. I'm here with my Bitch Talk co-hosts, Angela Tabora and Aaron Lim. And we are virtually at Sundance 2021. And we're going to talk about the documentary Playing with Sharks. We have Sally Aiken, the director of the film, Bettina Dalton, the producer. Sally and Bettina, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. Hi, team. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, we start off as always with our filmmakers introducing our audience to the film because they have not had a chance to see it as yet. Uh, so tell us about Playing with Sharks. Playing with Sharks introduces you to, uh, well, she's been described as badass. I think you're familiar with that expression. <laughs> it's a pretty accurate one. The amazing Valerie Taylor. Valerie is a pioneering diver who has had a lifetime underwater and it's all captured on film. It's a remarkable archive uh, that we showcase in Valerie's incredible story and her unique relationship with the ocean's most notorious and fearsome, but not to be feared, predators, sharks. As someone who, I work with the EarthX Film uh, Festival, Environmental Film Festival. Uh, I've, you know, I've you know, had films like Sharkwater at my film festivals before, um, you know, and I've had a, a, a number of films. And one of the things I really adored about this film um, was the history that it gave us and, and showing us a cause and effect um, toward why there is a hatred of sharks, a, 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 a misbegotten hatred of sharks. Mm. Uh, there's a lot to talk about, um, but I would love to start, have you uh, both start off with the approach that you took because you have a dynamic personality, obviously that, that is a central focus, but there's also a lot of information to be given. I think we had a great opportunity that's so rare in that Valerie's husband, Ron, had been filming not only Valerie herself, but the oceans since the late 50s. And it's like a window into a world that we have forgotten existed. When you see the size of the, the fish and the abundance of the fish and the numbers of sharks, you know, that, that's something we won't see again. In the, in the scene with um, Blue Water White Death with the oceanic white tips, that is, that is just when, when divers today see that footage, they just marvel at the, the numbers of those sharks. So I think there was that story, which is a story that spans the Anthropocene. And then there was Valerie's story, which Sally very beautifully crafted and wove in together, which is our own change and our own ability to change. And I think those two stories woven in together gives it much more resonance for people to, to really, you know, it's not just looking at sharks with some distance between us and them. We're obviously completely intertwined with the, with the marine world um, and it can't be separated. So I think, you know, that was Sally's great challenge, how to take all of this footage, that, which is a testament to our history and tell Valerie's story through that. I think also, you know, we, we, are, we are driven by emotions, aren't we? And uh, sharks are awesome beasts. They are so impressive to look at. And often what is impressive can be terrifying if you don't know. And what's incredible about Valerie's story is for whatever reason in her soul and body, she was able to sort of break through that initial 
uh, barrier that most people have and lean in. And because she did, other people did. And it's only through that sort of example uh, of seeing that it is possible to get in the water. They're not interested necessarily in you. And that coexistence that we can have with the natural world is something that is exemplary, I think, in, in Valerie's life. And I, speaking for myself, I can honestly say I really didn't know very much about sharks. I mean, I knew that there were great whites and I probably wouldn't want to meet one on a bad Friday night. But I really, <laughs> until I saw that incredible footage of her leaning over the back of a boat and hand feeding it and patting it on the nose. Now, she would never do that with every great white. It's only through that, year, that sort of accumulated wisdom and being able to recognize that there are different personalities within the species, but because she was able to do that, we, we can benefit from that bravery going, oh, I see now, I don't have to be afraid. I think that's, um, that's certainly something I've gained through making the film and through getting to know Valerie through her footage. And that leads me into my question that I had, you know, there's that aha moment, uh, sort of in the beginning, not a spoiler, I don't think. Um, but when Ron goes on that shark expedition, and Valerie can't go, he comes back and kind of, I'm going to swear, he's like, what the fuck are we doing here? We're, 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 I mean, we're, we're killing wildlife for sport. Um, so I love the self-reflection. Was there anything for either of you during this process where you had self-reflection? For me, personally, my, I grew up in New Zealand and my uh, family have a beach cottage on one of the islands. And in our family law, you know, we talk about, oh, the years that, you know, my mother's father was fishing and there's amazing photos of all the fish strung up on lines. And, you know, and we just can't catch 30 snapper a day like we used to. For me personally, when I saw the footage of those spearfishing competitions and the sacks and sacks of fish, there's something in me shifted. I realized, well, we too have all been responsible. We, we weren't champion spearfishers, but it was certainly not something to be concerned about, that the ocean was plenty. And so I, for me personally, um, I have had my own epiphany about my mm. own responsibility uh, in, in the impact we all have or can have and have had on the natural world. Tina? Yeah, I, I also think, um, I think my self-reflection was to do with Valerie herself as well. Like I've had a long interest in, in wildlife conservation and making films that reflect that. But there was just a moment where I thought we, you know, I remember trying to look up Valerie's name on Wikipedia and it kept going to Ron, her um, mm. husband who's passed away. And I thought, hold on a second. We have got this incredible woman who has, has achieved so much and has been screaming from the top of her lungs for us to look at the ocean in a different way, look at sharks in a different way. And she's one voice in the wilderness, but she's had a massive impact. Sally and I, when we talk to people and you see this pyramid, her at the top and the influence she has had on so many generations. And she's one person, one incredibly dynamic. I mean, even today, she is out there at 84, um, you know, still screaming on the top, top of her lungs. And she's achieved a lot, almost single-handedly with her husband, with the 
you know, the declaration of the grey nurse shark, the first shark in the world to be declared a protected species. Mm -hmm. So it was both a, a, a film to ensure that she was recognised and that she didn't fade off into the ether without all of her achievements being, you know, known around the world. You, you kind of think of, uh, she's almost like the, uh... Uh, the deep water version of Ginger Rogers with that whole thing of she did everything that Fred Astaire did, but in heels and backwards, right? And I, I can tell you absolutely, Patina and I have looked at this footage and gone, how is she so glamorous? And she, you know, she, I mean, every single outfit she is on expedition boats and she still looks cool you know it's really and you can almost track the decades through the fashion it's really not conscious she makes so many of her clothes herself in the beginning but there is something so immaculate about her fashion sense that um that that we find delightful and uh and still today you know her smile lights up her face and everything falls into place she is a striking woman inside and out yeah, you're right. I, I, I'm a certified diver and I didn't know it was possible to look beautiful in goggles and a snorkel, but <laughs> apparently she pulls it off. I'll try that uh, next time I go out. But um, yeah, on the topic of, of self-reflection, obviously you want a huge uh, reaction from this documentary to be how we think about sharks and, and putting Valerie Taylor and all of, all of the organizations that she advocates for on the map. But also something that really affected me was just witnessing the mass hysteria after a film like Jaws comes out. And, and I hope that people viewing this will also take from it, what, how do I react to films that are fiction? And, and mm. let me look up facts before I uh, support this organization that's going on a hunting trip or, you know, mm. and, and hopefully it'll awaken some people to the way that we react to stories that are fiction, <laughs> mm. you know, and, and, and how that, how that, um, coexist with with how we treat nature. I'd love to ask um, also, you have some wonderful um, uh, voices in this documentary. I mean, the amazing uh, Dr. Sylvia Earle, who is just like, you know, if, if you know, if, if anybody is, you know, has, um, you know, uh, you know, young oceanographers have posters on their walls in their dorm rooms, uh, you know, Dr. Earle, is, you know, is, is one of those heroes. And, you know, of course, John, John Michel Cousteau and people like that. You know, one thing that has struck me in the past couple of years, um, uh, seeing environmental uh, uh, focused films is how remarkably supportive that community of uh, uh, you know of environmentalists of doctors of scientists like people like Paul Watson people like that how 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 supportive they are of each other and I would love for for you two to talk about in making this film if you felt that in their willingness to 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 speak and and to be a part of it. Sally and I would both confer on that and and um, Dr. Sylvia Earle was so. On the, on the mark with the way she reacted to Valerie's contribution to our understanding of the oceans and sharks. And, and Sally, you, you can speak to that, but everyone, of course, that we interviewed, you know, many, Howard and Michelle Hall had directly been influenced and, and inspired by them and, and so many others, and Peter Benchley himself um, and his wife, Wendy, who was able to speak for Peter. But <clears throat> Sally, I think you can talk more about just how powerful that endorsement from um, Sylvia was. The truth of the matter is anyone we approached in the community uh, of environmentalists to speak 
to in the film or to to Valerie jumped at the chance. We were just completely thrilled and humbled by people's willingness to to participate, and um, you know, particularly people who were so happy we were able to shoot these interviews. Let me add, before we were all shut down. I mean, it's sort of you know, there's a special part of us that's sort of, oh, thank God, you know, we were able to go and film Stan Waterman, living legend in the dive world, 97 years old, and he looks like a pirate. I mean, you know, it's just incredible. Dr. Earl, Sylvia was not only generous with her time and insightful with her comments, there's such an interesting parallel. She and Valerie were born in exactly the same year. She and Valerie both came to their work in exactly the same way. They had a personal epiphany when they put a face mask on. Now, Sylvia pursued a life of scientific inquiry through academic research. And Valerie has pursued a life of practical action through her filmmaking. And yet, both of those women in different and totally supporting ways have had a real uh, uh, legacy le uh, to, to, to leave the world in, in, in respect of their observations. And one thing I particularly loved was Sylvia's awareness that Valerie in her own way was a scientist, not because she has letters after her name, but because she has curiosity, she observes, and then she records faithfully what she has observed. So we are all scientists and we can all be scientists in different and unique ways. And I, I think we're seeing a lot of that through citizen science actually. Uh, but this is an example, I think of where every uh, natural observed encounter can make a difference. Yeah, and there's a there's another part of the story that I really appreciated because it's something we talk about on but bitch talk a lot for years. It's it's being childless and choosing mm. that life. And um, just wanted to know if if Valerie was very forthcoming with that part of her story. She, you know, it's very interesting. Uh, maybe it's particularly Australian. Valerie, like many Australians, loves her action to speak louder than her words. You know, there's, there's not, we, we always marvel at Americans. We always think, oh, you guys are so articulate. <laughs> You're so self-examined. It's a, it's a very interesting <laughs> cultural distinction, <laughs> I think. So I can say quite honestly, Valerie kept saying, you know, wh why am I interesting? What is it about my personal life that you want to know? <laughs> Let's look at the sharks. So I wouldn't say she was forthcoming, but I wouldn't say she was protective. It was just their reality, their situation. She, as she says in the film, she knew that it wouldn't necessarily be possible for her in her circumstance to live the kind of spontaneous and adventurous life that she could if she had had children. And I think she's blessed with an amazing family of um, nephews and nieces. And I think she adopts everybody like a, <laughs> like a part of her family. I, I sort of feel like in some way she is my family too. And I think that personal impact uh, is not exclusive to me. And so in a way she has been very mothering to many, many people, um, even if she doesn't have children herself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, you know, one of the 
wonderful things about her is is that of course you know people talk about you know how she was first and how she um you know was a pioneer and just got in there and did things um you know and and and, and a lot of people just instinctively followed suit and what have you but i was struck by because you know i'm you know a, you know, a journalist and a publicist i was struck by struck by her mastery of of knowing how to get out messaging and you know even even just like you know describing the sharks as dogs immediately puts you in a mindset to go oh well i'm thinking of them in a different way right now you know and and then and then of course you know the scene of you know them at the whale feeding and you know and and how she describes um you know becoming part of the pack and again that that totally um in a very um natural easy way redirects your mind to how you're thinking uh, uh, you know about them and then you know and then of course then there's the, the whole thing about you know dispelling the notion of the uh, of the bite and you know and how that happens and you know which, which combined one her being wise enough to you know to you know to, to, to do that but then two also get in there and demonstrate it herself um, which was amazing. I think um, Valerie and Ron both had a really strong instinct to how they could work the media you know, even back in the early British movie tone days when they were making films, they knew that the combination, they knew that sharks sell. And then adding Valerie to the mix, you know, beautiful woman floating around in the foreground, that that would work. But that that shot of Valerie, you know, with her chain mail, uh, as a child, I opened up National Geographic magazine and that was front cover. And I remember that moment. I remember the galvanizing moment of like, well, this is a mar this is my Marvel hero, this woman. And <laughs> I, I honestly just like, you know, I never imagined I'd ever know them or make films, you know, with them that was just seemed like a bridge too far. But, you know, the fact that that image had that impact on me, and I know that that image and other images and her appearance on television shows, she and Ron really knew that they needed to get their message and their footage to the to the media, and they knew how to do it. And that was their ammunition. Uh, that's that, that's how they led their campaigns and got noticed and got heard. And often it shamed the politicians into taking some action in response because they had the people on their side. Well, I'll tell you, I believe uh, the two of you really did them a great service, um, you know, with this film. Uh, I, I cannot imagine they could be any happier uh, with it, uh, you know, uh, you know, um, you know, with 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 her speaking for them both, of course, by this point. But again, it's just a wonderful film playing with sharks. We've been talking to the producer, Benita Dalton, and the director, Sally Aiken. It's been wonderful to have you both on the show. Thank you so Thank much you. for having us. That was our first round of interviews at Sundance 2021 with the filmmakers from My Name is Polly Murray and the filmmakers also from Playing with Sharks. We have so much more coming up in the next week, so please stand by and thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about us, you can head to bitchtalkpodcast.com. This podcast is created, hosted, and executive produced by Aaron Lim. My co-host is Angela Tabora, a.k.a. Captain Party. The show's edited by producer Shar. We're powered by GoTo Productions. GoTo Productions.